0: Welcome and thank you for joining with us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church in Kannapolis, North Carolina. As Associate Pastor, Barry Murray shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. So we're going to be in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah, and those of you who are scholarly, that's the last book before Malachi, before Matthew. And if you didn't know where that's at in your Bibles, go to the anyhow, New Testament, back up a book. And it's Zechariah chapter 2. And we're going to be there this evening talking about that. And I know that you know that uh, now next Sunday it's going to be a ghost town in here in the morning because we are going to be a bunch of us at the beach surfing and swimming and fishing and enjoying ourselves. Isn't that right, guys? Amen. There we go. I got the thumbs up. But uh, no, we are at the marriage retreat this next weekend, so pray for us that we get out there. Everybody get out there safely, and I know that Pat and Larry's marriage is struggling, and they're going, and they're coming <laughs> to get some help. So, we, so we get you to know, help them out a little bit if we can. And I'm really kind of intimidated now because they've been married a lot longer than Andrew and I have been married. But anyhow, but we're gonna have a good time, and uh, we've got some old folks, got some young folks. With that thought in mind, with the marriage retreat, I think I've told you the story before, and if I had, I apologize. But did you hear about the couple who were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary? Zechariah chapter 2, by the way. And uh, as they're celebrating their 50th anniversary, of course, the family threw a big shindig for them. They're having a big old get-together. And the whole time, back like in the middle of the room, the husband is sitting in a chair, just sobbing and mourning and moaning and groaning. and just He was definitely distraught, and everyone saw that. So finally, someone walked up and said, what is wrong with you? Why are you so... Uh, distraught what's the matter with you 50 years you ought to be excited about being married that long to the same person and he said well 50 years ago he said my her dad got a shotgun and told me either marry his daughter or go to jail for 50 years And he said today I'd be a free man So i just telling you how it looks. Depends on how, how you want to see that. Let's stand on our feet this evening. Zechariah chapter 2, verse number 1. We're going to read the whole chapter this evening. I'm not going to dwell on every verse or whatnot tonight, but I want to give you some things I think would be inter- interesting, some things that are, are, are current, happening right now, and things that are yet to come in the future, and we'll jump into the message. Verse number 1. I lifted up my eyes again and looked, and behold a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then said I, Whither goest thou? And he said unto me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof and what is the length thereof. And behold, the angel that talked with me went forth, and another angel went out to meet him. I guess he was going to hold the other end of the line so he could measure it. And he said unto him, Run, speak thou to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her, and I love this verse, will be unto her a wall of fire round about, and will be the glory in the midst of her. Ho, ho, this is the first sighting of Santa Claus. <laughs> when he says one ho, you pay attention. When he says two hoes, you best definitely got to pay attention. Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heaven saith the Lord. Basically saying that he scattered his people all over uh, the the world. Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with thee, daughter of Babylon. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, after the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoil you. For he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. Of course, we know that they're the apple of God's eye, the Jewish people. For behold, I will shake my hand upon them, and they shall be a spoil to their servants, and ye shall know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of thee. And every time I see that where God dwells with people, I just get excited about that. And I will dwell in the midst of thee. And thou shalt know that the Lord of Hosts has sent me unto thee, and the Lord shall the Lord shall inherit Ju, Judah his portion in the holy land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. Be silent, O all flesh, before the Lord, for He is raised up out of His holy habitation. Thank you, Lord, so much for the Word of God. We thank you for your promises are true, and while we may not comprehend and understand all that you've done and why these people that you've chosen to be such a, 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 a love to your heart, uh, they're the apple uh, of your eye, Lord, is uh, beyond sometimes our thinking, but we know there are chosen people, and you've chosen them. And Lord, as we take a few moments tonight and we think about what's happening with them and what's going to happen with them yet in the future, what can we learn from this, and what can we as a church learn from this? And I believe there's something for all of us here this evening. So, Lord, please... Uh, open our eyes, may we see. And Spirit of God, give us listening ears and a listening heart. In your name I pray to see them. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. The remnant that had returned to Judea, uh, to Judah was concerned about rebuilding the temple and about rebuilding the wall and restoring the city to what it was. And, of course, it was a very extremely difficult task. And in the vision, God assured his people and his prophet that he was planning future glory for them. He planned glory and honor for them and their city, and he himself would come and dwell with them. We see anticipation in verses 1 through 3. When you think about this, a total stranger is coming to measure Jerusalem. I don't know about you, but I don't know about me, but if I went home tonight from church and there was a stranger in my house, measuring my house, measuring my windows, and measuring my door, measuring my property, I'd be a little concerned about that this evening. After all, he's measuring property that belongs to me, which he has no authority. But when the prophet saw a man measuring Jerusalem, it was evidence to him that Jerusalem was God's city. And it was in that day that God would claim Jerusalem and restore it again to glory. The man with the measuring line evidently is the angel of the Lord, Israel's Messiah. And we know throughout history of our world that leaders and diplomats uh, have tried to uh, tried to determine what should be done with Jerusalem, who should control it, and who should uh, do this, and who should do that. And thank God one day we know that Jesus Christ himself will rule from Jerusalem. Amen. But by measuring the city, he declares that it is his and he will accomplish his divine purpose for that city, no matter what the leaders or international uh, uh, influence may be, one day God himself or Christ himself will declare what will happen in that city. And we're seeing now what's happening. I want to bring this to you a little bit this evening, a little history and, and uh, about what's going on right now in, in uh, Israel and uh, whether it's the sign of what's going to happen in the end times. I don't know about that, but I do know this that there are people out to destroy, wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Right. And they have been. And they will continue. This Hamas group that you hear about, uh, about, I think 2010 or so, I was able to be in the midst of a, a service, and, and, I, and I was out there where they interviewed. Uh, in the book, He wrote a book, and, it's called, and some of you may have heard of it. I think he's being interviewed nowadays. But it's called The Son of Hamas. And uh, Moseb uh, Hassan Youssef is the son of one of the founders of the Hamas organization. And this son, I'm guessing he's probably in his 30s now. I think he was in his 20s back when I heard him, and, and uh, for the first time, and he was sharing with us that that they were teaching him uh, about terrorism. He spent time in Israeli jail uh, for his terrorism attacks, and he talks about in, the, in the book about the fact, even though this against his own family, that Hamas is a terrorist terrorist organization. Its its whole purpose is to terrorize and to wipe off Israel from the map. It's not somebody that needs to have his own sovereignty. Don't believe what you're hearing, what you're seeing. It's a very interesting book. You ought to read it. It's from his personal. And uh, that time, he was hiding here in America because he was afraid his life would be threatened uh, by his own family members and life would be taken. But it's very interesting. So what we see happening here uh, going on today is, is uh, a sign, as we've heard, of what's yet to come. But I thank God for the Word of God that promised Israel that God will be their glory. And he will put a wall of fire around them, we'll talk about that in a second, to protect them. And yes, we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem, what's going on there, but realize this is all part of God's plan. I'll get to, I think, the practical side here in a little bit in the message. But all this, I'm saying this for this purpose, this is a symbolic act that declares something to us, that one day Jerusalem will enjoy future expansion. And one day, the glory of God will be revealed in that city as it never has experienced it. The population will spill over the walls. In fact, there'll be no need for walls because God himself will be a walls of fire around them. Not only will he be in the midst of them, but he's going to be the wall of fire around them, protecting them. They won't need any extra help. And if you don't believe God's not protecting them, you don't know history very well. And our God is a consuming fire, and he's going to protect his people. He is not just on one side of us, let's practically, he's not on one side of me. He's all around me, protecting me also as one of his. He's not just concerned uh, about what's happening uh, nation, na- nationally and internationally. He's also concerned about every individual, uh, uh, individual here tonight in this service and all those who call upon the name of the Lord. He wants to protect you and guide you through what we go through in life. He's not just one-sided. He's around us. And it'll be great because God himself will be in the glory of us all. That's, the, that's the, uh, uh, what we see happening. So what's the admonition here? We see in verses 6 through 9, we already read them. I kid around a little bit about ho-ho. But there's an admonition there for us. There, the Lord admonishes us, uh, the Jews yet in Babylon, that He wants them to leave their comfort zone where they have settled. He wants them to leave where they're at. He wants them to come back to Jerusalem. Uh, there's going to be a, so many of them they won't be able to count them. He wants them to go back. The walls are going to be taken down, so they all can come back and be there. And uh, if you hang in there with me for a little bit, I'll get to the message in a moment. I promise you, and uh, uh, we'll get there. But uh, He wants them to come back one day, uh, and He wants us. He wants them to leave the. Comfort of where they may be. See, they settled in Babylon, have they not? Many of them. There's only a remnant back in Jerusalem, and he's trying to encourage them, shake them up, if you would, to come back to where uh, the, their home, come back where they need to be at. And uh, he said, "Get out while there's still opportunity." The admonition is uh, doesn't imply that every Jew. Listen, every Jew uh, who remains in Babylon. We're not out of the will of God. I know sometimes we have this thing, and I know I'm jumping topics here. And I'm trying to keep my mind where I didn't want to be here. But, but uh, uh, just because a person may not be uh, in the, uh, the exact place maybe God would have them to be, be careful when you say that. Because Joseph was in Egypt, a heathen place. The Hebrew boys, brothers, or brothers if you would, they were in uh, the wrong place. Nehemiah was in the wrong place. Esther and Mordecai was in the wrong place then. And just because some people may be in a place of, uh, of uh, uh, heathen or pagan cities, that's a plan that God has going on for them. And it's a plan God is trying to get something accomplished with them. And God used these people in the government to help his people that I've mentioned. So there's a reason for that. So with that thought in mind, the Lord here was summoning the Jews, though, who had put comfort, uh, vocation, uh, security ahead, ahead of, of doing God's work uh, in their own sacred city. And, he, and he's, he's, he's bringing something practical, and I promise you I'll land the plane in a moment, and, and we'll stay on the ground in a minute, all right? And, uh, uh, and the Jews, we know, are very precious. He calls them here the apple of his eye, the pupil of his eye, the iris of his eye, the opening that uh, lets in the light there. It's very important we understand that for the reason from Abraham until now, these are God's chosen people. And while we understand tonight that probably most of them are not believers in Christ, there is a score of them that are. And one day, they're all going to see the Messiah who they long for, That's right. whether they accept him or not. But, but the pupils, there's something special to God. And, and uh, the Messiah here is speaking, and he says, uh, God the Father says, see my glory that I will bring upon you, and I'll protect you, and I'll help you, and I'll guide you, and I'll be that protecting fire around you. So I guess you might say to yourself, I understand what you're saying tonight but what's this got to do with me? How many of you are there tonight? I raised both my hands. You shouldn't have said that because now is when you need the still-toed boots. I'm just teasing. I believe this about the Word of God. When I look at this Word of God that I, I study and I read from almost every day of my life, I understand that a lot of it is not written to me but it's all written for me. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a, a thought that I live I live in my life as I read this thing and study it. Uh, I know it's sometimes hard for some to understand, but why I understand I'm not Jew. I understand that my home is not Jerusalem, so to speak. I understand that, uh, that I, I'm, I'm a Gentile, but I understand that God wrote this book to me as well as he wrote it to them. So there's something in this scenario i pictured tonight for me and for us. And that's why I want to bring down, uh, bring down on the ground when we can understand that this evening. But that's how it concerns me is that what can it do for me or how can I apply it? So I'm glad you asked me. What is our life on this earth all about? When you came to a knowledge, saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, why are you left here? We understand we're left here to be a witness. We understand we're left here to be that testimony of Jesus Christ and with his future returning. We understand that. But also our life is to bring glory to God the Father. Jesus Christ came and spent those years he was here. His whole purpose on life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and all that was to bring glory to his Father which is in heaven. That's also my goal in my life. And my life daily as I live should be I want to bring glory to God in everything I do, uh, everything I I try to accomplish, uh, my, my conversation, my thought life, whatever I do, I want to make sure my life as best I can because I'm still a sinner saved by grace an old sinner saved by grace. But I'm going to bring glory to God in my life. Amen. Amen. Just like God's going to bring his glory to his people one day in Jerusalem. So I want to give you a question. I have three observations. I'm not sure how Tim maybe I got that down. He doesn't. That's a fine. I got one application at the end of the text. The question is this. What is the reason for this measuring line? What is the reason for this measuring line? And I can go all through scripture, I show you different different scripture about where there's a reed or a rod or a measuring line or a plumb line or all kinds of things scripture. I won't spend time to get them all tonight, but a few of them I want to talk about. We see in verse number one that the prophet said, I lifted up my eyes. He's visibly seeing this. And we say it may be a vision. Zechariah was a was a visionary type of a, a prophet. Uh, his counterpart, Haggai, was more of a practical type of prophet, which I, I prefer. I like being practical. But sometimes when you're practical, you have no vision. And sometimes when you're visional, you have no practical side to you. And, uh, but Haggai, I mean, Zechariah Zach, uh, sees this, and it was this guy. He said, Behold, a man with a measuring line. And when do you find God using a measuring line? It simply means, listen, church, that he's getting ready to do something. He's getting ready to move something. He's doing a survey of something that he's getting ready to accomplish. That's why the measuring line. He's, in Jeremiah, references this as measuring the city of Jerusalem. Ezekiel uh, speaks about uh, this also, about the vision that God brought to him about a measuring line. And Revelation talks about a reed, uh, like unto a rod, that the angel measured the temple of God uh, and the altar there for worship therein. And uh, I won't go into all that detail this evening, but in Revelation, it's talking about the millennial kingdom or the millennial temple that's going to be built. So God's getting ready to do something. Now listen, you know a survey sometimes can be like five years before they do anything. You ever been there? You drive down the road, you say, oh, there's a survey crew. Well, in about 10 years, they're going to do something over there, right? And we know they're measuring why? Because they're getting ready, they're making a plan, something's going to happen. And when God is measuring something, as Jerusalem in our, our, our scripture here, he's getting ready to do something with them. Is God right now measuring Israel to do something with them? Is this the time he's getting ready to do something for them? I don't know. But when you see what's happening in Israel, you gotta take note that God's getting ready to do something. He's measuring them for a purpose. So I have three observations about that. When God starts to measure, he's getting ready to move you. God has a way of stirring us up to move us to either some higher works or on to glory. I don't know if you've been there in your life personally, but I can testify tonight that there have been a number of times in my life where God has measured me up and said, boy, I got something for you to do, and you don't have any idea what's going to happen. In the life of a church, there are good times for churches to be stirred up. There are good times for churches to be measured up and see really how strong we really are, how good our faith really is. And there are times that come along throughout it, and change sometimes that we don't like change sometimes, but sometimes change is good for a purpose and for a reason. And It comes along for, for our benefit and for our good. It would be a crime not to understand why uh, God would be uh, measuring you up. He has something he wants to do. He wants to change you spiritually. I'm not talking about necessarily changing your location. I'm not talking about necessarily changing you to move somewhere in the world. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spiritually him getting a hold of you and shaking you up. I I know something about people. We like the rut. You know what a rut is? We like to get behind the plow and stay in the same old rut. We get up the same old time, drink the same old coffee, watch the same old uh, news channel. It's the same thing every day you watch it. Uh, We watch whatever it may be. Uh, We like this, and I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. And we like that rut. And every now and then, spiritually, God comes along and says, you know what, I'm measuring you up. I think you're a 42 long. I'm getting ready to shake you up. Are you ready? Are you ready? Whatever it may be. There are some here tonight that your week never changes. You never see any new faces. You never go to any new places from week to week. Unless you see it on a screen, your world never changes. You're always the same. And I'm going to encourage you tonight and challenge you, hey, think about changing your routine. You may be surprised what God has for you out there. Oh, it's been a number of years ago, I forget how long ago it was, that, that uh, I finally decided, you know what, I'm going to try some different food. You know, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that. There's probably something better than the same old things because to me, uh, a Big Mac and fries was all there was. Right? That was going out to eat. And I realized there's plenty of food out there we can try. Why? You need to try something. I, I know some of you, you're stuck, you got the same old thing all over again. That's fine. I'm not going to get in your food business. Because I know you can't turn me off. But what about shaking up your personal time with God? Why don't you shake it up a little bit? Change it around, find out what somebody else does. Find out what someone else practices. Ask pastor, hey, what do you do? What's your, what's your personal devotional time? Hey, Pastor Barry, what, what do you do? And uh, you don't to know what I do. And uh, what do you do? And well, how much time do you spend doing this? And what are you doing that? And uh, I change it often. And I change it uh, uh, because I want to stay shook up as I read and study the Word of God. Because I want to stay close to Him as possible. And sometimes we've got to get out of our comfort zone. We don't want to get out of seeing different people. This world, uh, there's a world outside your little zone, you know, and there's something out there for you. I'll never forget this year, a long time ago, our, son, our oldest son had gone off to college, Bible college, and he came home. He was back home uh, visiting for a holiday, I think it was. And, and I took him to the nursing home with me uh, to go visit uh, one of our shut ins and, and anybody else there that I could visit while we were there. And we walked down the hallway, and you all know the story about being mean or cruel. There was only that one person out in the hallway in the chair. They tie up. They got the bib around them, and sadly enough, they're drooling a little bit. And when my son walked in there, they thought he was Prince Charming. Hey, boy, come over here. And uh, let me tell you, she grabbed his hand and started shaking his hand. And do I know who you are? And going on and on. And, and uh, so I, I kind of interceded and got him out of the conversation. He walked down the hallway. He said, Dad, that's scary. <laughs> and I said, boy, you're too comfortable. This is the real world. This is what the real world's like right here. And you got it made. And sometimes we've got to get out of that comfort zone sometimes. And, and uh, there's no reason to be sitting around. Listen, I don't want to sit around and wait to die. I want to be doing something up until the last breath I can take, even if it's preaching at my wife or something. I want to be doing something. What adventures are out there for me? Uh, I don't, I'm willing to leave my zone, and I, and I won't go down through the story tonight, but uh, there's been a number of times in our life, my ministries, that I just felt like God was measuring me, telling me to go, and I left. Good situations and some bad situations. But God's always been there. And I found a side of God I didn't know before. He is the comforter. He is the need filler. He is the supplier. Because Barry got out of his comfort zone and said, he's measuring me up. I'm willing to go try something different and new. Uh, and God's measuring us. I believe with all my heart, there is something that I can do for God until he calls me home. And I know you sit this evening and say, well, oh, pa- Pastor Barry, you know, I'm, I'm 95 years old. I barely made it church tonight. I can barely get around. What can you do? You can pray. You can grab that prayer sheet. You can pray over that thing for somebody. You can write a note. I'll never forget this. Many years ago, we were, uh, I was in, working in a church in uh, uh, Kokomo, Indiana. It's a great place. Kokomo, Indiana. It's not the Kokomo where you go, go vacation. And in Kokomo, Indiana, I was out there, and we had a lady that came on our bus. She was about that time. She was 65. I thought that was old back then. Now I'm thinking that's not very old at all. And, uh, and she, said, uh, she said, Brother Barry, she said, i got to tell you something. Do you realize that this week I called 20 people and invited them to church and asked them if they knew Jesus? I said, what? She said, yeah, I got a phone book. Some of you all know what a phone book is? That's where you keep numbers and addresses and people's phone numbers. She said, I got a, my phone book out, and this is back in a different day now. Well, this is back in the 90s now. I understand. And she said, I called... Uh, people, and she lived in Peru, Indiana. She said, I called 20 people, and, uh, I, and I asked them invited invite them to church, tried to witness to them, and uh, she said, can you believe some of them hung up on me? <laughs> she couldn't get out. She's crippled with a cane. We had to help her get up on the bus to come to church, but she was still trying to serve Jesus, even though she couldn't do everything she once did. What happened? She got shook up. She got measured up. She wanted to change her life and do something different. All this may be new to us, and you may have never been there before, but I believe there are times in our Christian life God measures us. He sizes us up. The second observation is this. We don't like to be measured as Christians. We don't like to be measured. That's an observation. Uh, uh, many go as far as salvation we're not willing to try to live a, a faith Christian life we're not, try, not trying to live a life that serves God and it is a decision you make a decision to get saved we make a decision uh, all kinds of things I want to talk about next weekend with the couples about making a decision to be married and make a decision who you fall in love with I'll talk about that next week to them I won't jump into that tonight but we make a decision and you and I make a conscious decision whether we're going to serve God or not well, I don't want to be bothered. Don't, don't tell me what I should be doing or not doing. I'm not going to do that. I'll leave it up to God. But we stand standing around waiting for God to change our lives. But if my newness of mind comes by the word of God, I'm going to have to put that word of God in me. I'm going to have to decide I'm going to do something about that, to put that word in me that I can be new and be a new creature as the old things pass away and the new things come upon me. We think that uh, uh, I may have to suffer too much and give up too much. And Peter says in Peter, 1 Peter 4: Yet if a man suffer as a Christian, uh, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. And, and I know, I'm going to be honest with you, I like just telling how it is to me, but there's not too many of us in this room right now that we really suffer too much. I don't know when the last time someone held a knife to your throat and said, Deny Christ, or I'm going to slit your throat. I don't know the last time, and i got to tell you by looking around the room, most of us have not missed a meal. We've been pretty spoiled. And God's been pretty good at this. We really don't know what it's like to suffer for the cause of Christ, yet we think we are. Well, you know, I, anyhow, I gave up one meal for this, whatever, and God bless you all, and we appreciate it. Uh, anyhow. We should be willing to give up whatever God brings our way to give up. Be willing to go where you've never gone before. i never forget this years ago. I may have used illustration here before on behalf. I apologize for that, but I think it's so fitting. Uh, back in 1993, I went up to Walkertown, North Carolina, from South Carolina to go here. J. Harold Smith. Anybody know who that is? J. Harold Smith, he's the one that founded the church here that we're a part of right now but he was passionate he was evangelist and uh he was it was a bus conference up there and i took some of our workers up there uh from down south carolina went up there for uh the the conference and he spoke one night and he preached i mean you all would have walked out he preached for two hours but i'm going to tell you what it didn't feel like no two hours I couldn't believe he was finished when he got done because I said, man, this has, been, this has been quick. I looked at my watch. Oh, no, it's not quick at all. And he had the invitation that night after he preached. It was the Gospel Light Baptist Church up there in Walkertown, North Carolina. And I'll never forget this. We're standing there. I'm thinking, we're at a workers' conference. These are all bus workers, pastors, pastor's wives, deacons, workers in the church, the workers' conference. How many people here can be lost? And before that night was over, there was 101 people got saved that night. And we were there till after midnight with the invitation. I was trying to go home back to South Carolina afterwards, and I was mad. No, just it was good. But he preached on God's three deadlines. Sermons he preached, I don't know how many times. But he's talked about what's God's deadline. One is not getting saved. One is not giving up our sin. And one was not giving into God's will for your life. And as he preached that night, I was there. I'm not just giving you some thing I read in the book. I was there. There was a pastor's wife got saved that night. There was some deacons that got saved that night. Thank the Lord. I'm trying to be funny there. Anyhow, there was uh, uh, people there, workers, and, and there were teenagers getting right, uh, uh, teachers, teachers get, uh, teens getting right with uh, uh, their parents, and teens getting right with the church, and getting right with youth pastors. Like I'm thinking around, this is great, but i got to go home. Pretty soon can we stop this sometime. But it will go on and on and on because this preacher shook up some solid Christians and some lost people. He measured them up. And he sized them up, and God moved. And they couldn't take it anymore. I thought about, uh, I think I mentioned this uh, last time I preached about, uh, was it Jonathan Edwards preaching that sermon, just reading the sermon, and those people feel like they were falling into hell as he was reading the sermon. He read it in a monotone voice, and they were thought they were falling in the pits of hell. And uh, we don't like being changed. Number three, third observation is this. You don't like being measured by God because you may have to get involved. You may have to get involved in something. It's easy for me to, it's easy to understand why some stay away from serving in churches, but I have a hard time understanding why. Now, look, I, 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 don't, I know you, we all can't do everything. And I thank God, and I mentioned this the other day in, in staff devotion, but I thank God for our pastor that understands that one person can't do it all. I know some of you have a hard time with that. And you'll come ask me questions about something over here. I have no idea what you're talking about because I'm not involved over there. And I thank God I'm not required to know what's going on over there. But that's all I'm talking about. What are you involved in? What are you doing for the Lord, for the church you're a member of and where you're a part of? i never forget one person told me years ago that I will never serve the church again because a Christian hurt me. And I wanted to say, boo-hoo. Because I've been in a long time, people, not on purpose, they hurt each other. We're insensitive. But but we really don't like to be measured because we may have to get involved. We'd rather stand on the seashore. Uh, Moses, uh, you go ahead and cross the Red Sea, and I'll think about it. Right? That's who we are. Uh, Moses, you go ahead and go across the Jordan River in the promised land. Uh, we're going to hang out here and see how it works. In fact, can we have a little area over here we can stay at, two of the tribes? We really want to go to the promised land. Why doesn't, why doesn't God's people want to go serve God in the promised land? Promised land, uh, uh, fortunately not according to gospel songs, is not heaven. The promised land is right now spiritually living uh, in the promised land with God right now. We think, oh, promised land? No, it's not No. They had to work in the promised land. They had to survive in the promised land. It wasn't heaven. They had to actually fight wars in the promised land. But it was still the promised land, something God had promised them. And and we stand on the seashore and we say, well, let's get involved. And I understand that we have a great church where a lot of people do a lot of things, and thank God for that. But I'm wondering tonight, is anybody here tonight? You're standing on the seashore. God's been measuring you, and you know it. And you haven't jumped in yet. Well, go ahead and jump in the water. It's fine. It'll be all right to get involved. I say this lovingly, respectfully. Been in church work a long time. I never thought I'd see a day where people would just come to church to come to church. Not join. Not get involved. Not be a part of it. We have a good sized church and we know that people come here they don't want their names to be written down anywhere. They don't want to be kept track of anyhow. We don't hound anybody. Uh, We talk about it. We, We don't do that. But yet I never seen a day where Christians come in they come in and just enjoy the service. They enjoy the singing. They enjoy the preaching and I'll see you next Sunday. You're gonna be awful board when you get to heaven. That's all heaven's gonna be all about: singing and praising and worshiping God, working with Jesus. I know, some, I know I know I won't go down that road tonight. I'll, I'll stay off that road tonight. We ought to be involved. I'll never forget. Years ago when I was in college, I taught at our Christian high school a few classes. One of the classes I taught there was uh, was auto shop. We had an auto shop placed there, and being my my history of being auto mechanic, they asked me if I would teach that class and I said I would, and, and so I was going to college, uh, teaching there, plus working on my full-time job in the afternoon and evening, uh, getting by. That's how people live, by the way. We work, right? That's how you get by in life, you work. And uh, I, took, I took it as an opportunity for me to be experienced about working with, with uh, teenagers, working in a high school, working in a field that I'm pretty sure I knew about, and then I took that. and In that, in that classroom, there was a, I would spend some time in the uh, in the book part, of it, we'd part, spend an hour or so uh, in the book, and then we go out to the shop and do things. And I was a college student getting ready to train to go serve the Lord full-time. And I believe, I, I guess I came a little too preachy to these boys. One of these boys whose family was a great family in the church there. Uh, uh, dad was a deacon, and they and, uh, just servants there, and he was a good kid, good ball player, good basketball player, hustle. He was a hustler. I like hustlers. I don't mean in a bad way. And he said, he Mr. Murray, he said, I just think from the way you're talking, you think every one of us should be serving God with our lives. And I said, why wouldn't you? You've had the best, you have the best opportunity in the world. I wish I had the opportunity that you have right here. You've been a Christian school your whole life. You go to one of the greatest churches at that time on the face of the earth. You got ministries galore happening. You got things happening. Why wouldn't you want? And you're light years ahead of me. I'm learning what you already know. He said, Why wouldn't you? Well, I said, Why wouldn't you? Today, that man's no longer a young man. He has grandkids. But he's now the principal of that Christian school that I taught in. He's been there for, I don't know how many years 25, 30 or something like that. He's been involved in that because I just challenged them, why wouldn't you want to serve God? Why wouldn't you? Let me give the application and we're done. The application is this. Be willing to be measured in a direction you've never gone before. After, and and I mean this this way, of talking to those people who you care about the most. And I'm being very practical and very pointed with this point tonight. But be willing to do something outside your comfort zone. I have a sermon I preached a long time ago. I may, I may warm it up one of these days. And it's called Star Trek. Going beyond where you've never been before. How many of you remember that? Back in the original good Star Trek days. But be willing to go beyond. And I'm, I'm saying this in our personal relationship with people that we care about. And I'm going to be very personal, practical, and I don't know anything. I'm not involved uh, with, these, with these, this group of people necessarily. I do know, I talk to them, I know them, and I'm going to be very specific. But listen, teenagers, wake up. I didn't tell many funny stories tonight, so I, I think I'm doing pretty good, right? I won't say. How many am I at? I have two, three. You're counting. over The girls are counting on me over there. I, I got a story. But anyhow, teenagers, be willing to talk to your parents. They're not that much of an old fogey. And you say that, you think we don't talk to our parents? I'm pretty sure you're not straight with your parents. I mean, talk about what really is bothering you. And parents, be willing to listen to what they're saying to you. Try to remember where you were at at that time in your life. I'm I'm talking about going somewhere you've never gone before. Uh, uh, listen I know teenagers that you think you know everything I did the same thing when I was your age I found out now at my age I don't know anything but listen you'd be surprised what your parents might know and they're again I don't know what's going on I'm not involved in that group it's not my area but I know young people have a hard time talking to old people even their parents and I wish I knew a way to fix this problem. We're out today at lunch with Andrew today having lunch, and we're sitting there watching this two teen, uh, teenager and a mom and dad, and all three of them are on their phones. And I wish they would put the phones down and talk to each other. Because our family needs to communicate with each other. I'm not saying you don't text each other. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. I'm not saying I'm not against phones. I I do my share of all that. But man, we we need to be talking to each other. We need to find out what's going on. Hey, teenager, whatever's hurting you, make sure you tell your mom and dad. And parent, sometimes we have to apologize to our kids for not listening like we should. Right? Sometimes we have to pull the authority card. Sometimes, yeah, because I said so, yeah, I'm with you. I understand. But sometimes we got to what? Your teens are going through things that you never had to go through. And we need to hear them. And church, our young people need us to, to uh, accept them the way they are. They're not like you are, they're not like we are. And you young adults, hey, deal with us. This is who we are. Right? And I know I'm on I'm impression, I probably shouldn't be tonight. But I understand this is a big hurt. There, listen, why do I say that? Because there have been times in my life I wish I had a dad to go talk to. And I didn't have a dad to go talk to. I wish I had a dad I could have talked to about dating girls. But I didn't have one of those. I wish I had a dad I could have talked to about marriage and Hopefully he talked me out of it, but I didn't have one. There's one. I didn't have one. My mom was doing all she could just to keep the bills paid and keep us in a roof over our head and to feed us. She was doing all she could. And uh, thank God for her and thank God for what she did for us uh, in our lives. And I I, I appreciate that. And I told her that many times before she passed away. But listen, uh, be thankful you have parents to talk to. And they do understand. And we should understand. I'm, I'm, I'm really being probably more pointed than I need to be on this point. But I feel like, it, and church members, you need, you need to talk to your pastor sometimes about some things and quit letting it chew on you and fester in you till you blow up. I don't mean every anything. We don't want to hear all the nitty, we don't want to hear about your toenail being ingrown. We don't want to hear about those things. Thank you, Karen. We don't want to hear about those things. But when you got a burden or heartache, we sure want to help you and pray for you. We've we got to learn to communicate, talk to each other. Communication is being lost. and so what It means we've got to get out of our, out of our comfort zone. And one of the things I think with, with the phones, we should communicate. What I don't like about texting is I can't see your face because I want to read your face and see how you're really responding to me about some things. And I understand it's handy, and I, don't get me wrong. I'm not preaching against that. But I wish there were times in my life, I wish before I walked down the aisle with Andrea that I had a dad to tell me what I needed to do and not do as a married man. But I didn't have one. And you don't know that until they're gone and you miss them, huh? But we got to learn to communicate, talk to each other. And church, listen, Uh, realize that your pastor and your pastoral staff, we got the same problems you got. And we're trying to figure this out like you are. We got to make this work and come out of our comfort zone, not have so much expectations about some things and are willing to go somewhere you've never been before. And I'm going to encourage you tonight and challenge you tonight, folks, let's go out of our comfort zone and let's be that mouthpiece with the gospel of Jesus Christ for those we love and those we care about first then to the world become a cross of our daily living. Amen. Yes, you're right. I know it's hard. I've been there. I've been there. I've witnessed to my family members that I knew were hard as could be. But I'll tell you, what, we, my grandmother was the hardest one <laughs> ever in the world. She, My grandmother was great. Thank God for my grandmother. She was a blessing to me. But, man, I, I needed to make sure she was going to heaven. And I came home one day, I went down to her place, and it was just me and her, and I had her in the corner. She used to say, I don't want to talk about that. I said, well, Grandma, and I was mean. I said, you're going to die. And I want to make sure you and I are in heaven together. And the tears came down the eye. I got the witness there, and she was saved and had been saved as a teenager way back. We grew up in church, but I needed to know. I needed to have an answer. And we got to be, listen, go out of our comfort zone sometimes and be that mouthpiece we need. That's why we're here to be the mouthpiece for Christ. The Lord's coming back. Are we ready? Are we ready? Thank you, Lord, so much for the word of God. Thank you for this story. And Lord, I know I kind of may have gone from place to place and not stayed on point tonight, but I know that this was the leading of your spirit this evening. And God, I know we all get comfortable. I know we all get to the place that we just not really go out of our zone that we're in. We just soon stay where we're at. We like the rut. We like the the, the security of the pattern. We like those things in our lives, but God, we gotta realize that sometimes you're gonna come along and you're gonna measure us up and you're gonna shake us up. And you're gonna say, Hey, I got something else for you to do that's bigger, and bring more glory to my name. Are you willing to go? Are you willing to take that step? With our heads bowed to see and then dear fellow church members who I love. Are you willing to let God shake you up a little bit and see what He has for you out there? I can promise you something. He'll never let you down. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll never put you on an island where He's not already gone ahead and prepared the way for you. Sometimes He shakes us up. He's shaking up Israel. He's measuring some things right now for what's yet to come in the future. When and where we don't know. But I think individually he does the same thing to all of us. Tonight, are we willing to be shaken up or are we steadfast where I'm not moving? I shall not be moved. We take it literally. We should be saying I'm willing to be shaken up for Christ. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church events and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbccannapolis.com.